This is Up Your RPG, helping you up your role-playing game. Problem solving is at the heart of any great tabletop role-playing game, both for GMs and players. Coming up with a smart solution on the spot is challenging and rewarding. How can we foster more creativity at the table? And is it possible to be too creative? Hello, folks. Welcome to Up Your RPG. My name's Arthur. As usual, I'm joined by Emily and Michael, and this week we have Scott along. Emily, I will pass the show right over to you. All right. So we're talking about solving problems with unexpected solutions. And to just ground us all in what we're talking about, I'm going to ask for a couple of examples to start. So, Michael, you had mentioned a couple of things that came to mind when you thought about this topic, a couple of examples from our Under the Library game. Would you mind sharing those with us? Yeah. And uh, for me, I think that this topic comes out of an idea we, we've talked about a few times, and that's that's like figuring out what your own biases are and then figuring out how to break away from them. And so the, the two examples I have, one of them is uh, Rick was playing this character and he was... Uh, calling this rival farm uh, in order to um, kind of try and to get steal them... a contract. Right. Exactly. Like calling and... them on a telephone. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah good point. <laughs> and uh, in the, in the 1940s and I, he was expecting to get the farmer, right? I think he was ex uh, to get that in PC and just as kind of, I thought, oh, let's kind of mess with this because, like, what are my tendencies as characters? And most of them are middle-aged NPCs. Like, that's that's one of my go-tos, right? And so I had the kid answer the phone. And it also really threw Rick for a loop, right, to have to communicate with this child. It, got, it let me kind of break out of my NPC shell a little bit and um play to it you know it wasn't a character that was going to be revisited a lot um but it let me kind of play with some of those um childhood animations that was fun little did you know yes <laughs> that little did i know that that would come back to right you know yeah i mean that, that's that's one of the interesting things about that interaction is it was it was such a short interaction but it was so impactful in how it both threw rick for a loop and made him react, but then it created this trope that we kept coming back to. That whole idea of this kid not getting the bike that he wanted became a major plot point in Rick's character down the road, which he's still dealing with. Yeah, I guess exactly. Going to say right? yeah. it's, it's it's sort of the venereal disease of this game. Like every time you think you get rid of it, it comes back for another round. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's nice, Scott. Thank, Thank you. <laughs> I'll be back. I'll be back in two weeks. <laughs> so Michael, you actually answered the question before I even asked it, because after you gave an example, what I wanted to ask was why you decided to go that route. And I think it's really interesting that what brought you to this interesting solution that has stuck with us throughout now two seasons as a continuing plot point was simply an attempt to break out of your own habits and to do something that was unexpected for you as a as a GM. And it, and it wasn't crazy, right? It didn't no. break the mold in any major way. Like it's not doing anything earth shattering, but it's just, you know, being able to take a moment kind of at the table and self-reflect and be like, hey, what's everybody 
expecting me to do for like the 30th time in a row? And is there is there a, a way to kind of move away from that moment in a positive way, right? Like it, don't want him to answer the phone and talk to a minor bird or something. But um, the the other example is uh, that I can think of is when uh, Scott and Art were in a car together and Scott's playing uh, an FBI agent and they get pulled over by a police officer. And I think the collective moment at that table and even probably my initial impulse was um, they're in trouble, right? Like this police officer's there. And Scott's character probably could have reasonably talked his way out of this situation, given his level of law enforcement. Or you could like kind of go the small town uh, trope of the the police officer is the law and he can he can pretty much get away with anything he wanted. Um, but in that moment, I, I um, again, I had this moment of like, well, that's kind of like that's like a little bit of just tropey law enforcement. And I didn't really want to fall into that and so i was like what would be like and i was like oh what about a little hero worship of the character right like seldom do y'all have in game a moment where the npcs are just really enthralled with y'all or buy in immediately and i i thought that having that npc kind of buy into scott's character and get excited about it really kind of changed the trajectory it became a little bit it was a fun kind of conversation in game and again right i think it was kind of a collective at the table like oh yeah we weren't expecting that and again like nothing big i think it's small but it's just you know taking that moment to look at what we would often do and is there an opportunity here to change it up a little bit so you've got me thinking now i want to pose a question to art and to scott as players because as a player, you are always trying to play your character. You ask yourself, what would my character do? And that's how you make your decisions. And so in that sense, it may be beneficial to be predictable because if you're predictable, it means you're being your character. So how does this apply to you as players rather than to Michael, who is simply trying to um, play a new character every five minutes and they can do whatever whatever he wants to move the game forward. Scott, do you want to take that from from the perspective of this scenario that Michael just described? Mm, I mean, no, I, I think if you want to talk about scenario, fine, but I was thinking of going in a different direction. Go for it. Okay, so like, I think what's interesting to me is that you develop a character, I mean, Emily, you hit it right on the head, that you develop a character and then you want to sort of play that character consistently. But part of that, I think, is understanding that very rarely are, 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 are is anyone one-dimensional, right? We're all multidimensional and we're complex. And so we can create characters that are equally as complex. And, you know, I've used this language before. I don't want a character that becomes a caricature of itself. So in other words, what I don't want to do is create someone who does something because that's what that character does, as opposed to reacting to that situation in that environment. And so what I think is really interesting is that, you know, if I take a character that, you know, think about last the I know I was out last week, but the character that I've created for this most recent sort of one off and I wanted him to just be different right like he's just sort of positive and he's happy and he's just a little bit goofy and he's not wise to the world and 
now let's see what happens with him. And so I created him to be, you know, a pretty different kind of character than most of the other characters that I've done before. And there's some stuff under the the, the surface that maybe we'll get to. But, you know, that's a, an instance where I created someone that has lots of dimensions, but he's showing a single dimension right now, which is just, you know, <clears throat> almost a bit of an ingenue. You know what I mean? Like he's just a bit of a, uh, wow, look at the world. And it's fun to play him that way because everyone responded well to it. It was a really fun week. Yeah, and I, I think that when when I am thinking about playing a character and not going outside the bounds of that character, I am trying to, um, when I make characters, have them have some sort of a developmental arc uh, so in particular with the scenario that Michael was talking about with the, the cop pulling us over, um, I, I'm looking at, and for those who, who haven't listened to, uh, to under the library, the, the character that I'm referring to, um, I, I, when I created him, I was envisioning something like, um, Steve Rogers before, um, he had his scientific transformation. So he's a, um, you know, a guy who's super excited about the army. He wants to be in the army because he thinks the army is doing great things for the world. And then at some point he kind of gets disillusioned and that, uh, that disillusionment is leading to a change in how he relates both to the army and to authority figures. So it, it, in this scenario, it gives me room to, act in a way that maybe Buddy wouldn't have acted a month previous or a year previous. Now, I don't want to go so extreme that it doesn't make any sense. So I've got to put myself into that perspective of here's somebody who has always looked up to authority and respected authority and wanted to help those in authority because he felt that they were doing something good. And if that cop had furthered his growing perception of authority maybe not doing right, then that would have continued his arc. I don't know what he would have done in that situation, but when it happened, I was trying to put him in that place, put myself in his place, and what would this person think having the doubts that he has about authority? Uh, so it gives me some room to start to think creatively within some bounds. Oh, I think that's really interesting because essentially, I think you're saying that character growth can bring the unexpected yeah. for the rest of the players. You may not think what you're doing is unexpected at all, but if you're building a character who continues to grow and change, they'll always do something that that the people around them weren't expecting. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And I think uh, the balance for that for me, if it's okay to, to sort of start this, yeah, this path, but the balance for me is, you know, at what point am I just spotlighting my character at mm -hmm. what point am i am i sort of like doing something that is extreme in this like like I, I i'm always trying to find a balance between creating a character that's interesting that does things that make sense but is is still interesting and will sort of grow and change over time but then every once in a while i'll feel like i'm doing something and i'm like no i'm being an asshole like i'm i'm taking this to the nth degree i'm I'm spotlighting my character and I'm trying my hardest to like do something crazy and wild and impulsive just because it's entertaining in the moment, but it has nothing to do with sort of real character development. And it, it's, I think it sort of winds up feeling selfish when I do that. And so I try to be really aware of like, am I turning my character into someone that is just out there to try and get 
a response to things, if that makes so sense. So let me say a couple of things. I want you to actually give an example to us, if you can, a specific example of a moment you felt like that. But I also think, in essence, you may have answered your own question, because at those points where you feel like you're just drawing the spotlight, it's when you've done something for the sake of the reaction and not because of the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's easy. Like, w- uh, one really good example of this is my old character uh, in D&D, guy, uh, Beagle. I mean, I love this character and I brought him all the way to level 20. So much fun with him. But in the beginning, like, there wasn't a cursed item that he didn't put on. <laughs> like, he would just, it. there's like, there'd be like a helmet in the middle of the floor. And I'm like, I go and I put it on like, just because it was funny and it was, it didn't make sense. There was no basis in the story. There was no reason for him to do it. Like I'd never established a reason. It was just entertaining. And then, you know, Rick would come up with new curses or new, new crap to happen to me. And, and it was funny and all that. But I think as we matured the characters and our understanding of the game and our approach, I started to realize like, no, that's just me being an idiot. That that's just me taking something to, to, uh, to the extent that I'm just trying to get the spotlight on me so I can be like, look at me, put another cursed item on my head or what, whatever it is. So, so when you realized that, did you change Beagle's trajectory? Did mm-hmm. he ever pass up an item? Uh, or did he have yeah. better reasons for putting those items on his head? Uh, I, I think both. I mean, uh, I think he. I started making it so the Beagle was more thoughtful. There was a point I remember, uh, like a moment where we saw something and I'm like, I, I think as Beagle, I said out loud, I'm like, no, I'm not going to put this on. <laughs> like, like, I've learned this lesson. So, you know, and then it turns out I think someone else did and it, it put it on and it was cursed. <laughs> so Shocking. It's a bit of, of course, bit of vindication. So but yeah, I mean, so that that was a chance to sort of grow. And that came because enough, I had enough self-awareness and just our, all our engagement around these kinds of topics on the show and just us maturing together that I was like, no, I'm doing this more selfishly than I should. Like I, my character is doing things that just I'm only doing because it's entertaining, not because it's part of a broader story. And that's just how we choose to play, right? It's like some people just go for sticky entertainment kind of crap. That's fine. I'm not judging it. It's just we've we've decided to do a different approach together. Wow. We must really be doing something right if Beagle was able to grow and mature. <laughs> he definitely but- did. Yeah, definitely. But this brings us to sort of the other end of the spectrum, talking about when the unexpected or when that striving for creativity can go too far. Art or Michael, do you have an example that you might share that you think could enlighten us about that issue? Nope, not at all. Don't know what you're talking about. No, Michael never goes too far. Go ahead, Art. Well, I mean, I I think I just wanted to, I don't know if... I, I definitely have specific examples, but I don't necessarily want to call anybody out. Um, but I, I want to just go back to what Scott was talking about previously. And I think that that highlights one of our core beliefs in the sort of up your RPG um, gaming curriculum, for lack of a better term at this point, um, that we feel pretty strongly that uh, that role play is at the heart of storytelling and storytelling is at the heart of, of RPGing. And 
in order to get to a creative space where where a human can use the part of their brain that gives that creative energy that allows that creative freedom you have to feel physically safe uh, there's a whole physiological process that happens and the, the basis of it is the you know fight or flight versus um, is it rest and digest it's way more complicated than that and there are, there are other levels to it than that but the more comfortable you are and the more safe and the more supported you feel the more creative you are allowed to be physiologically so um, in order for Scott to be able to have that realization and to say, you know what, I, I want to, uh, to not just get the attention on me, um, there's a difference between getting the attention on you and having your moment. So by feeling that he needs to, you know, wave his arms around and do something silly, that tells me that, that maybe there were times when other people were doing that and taking the attention off of him and not giving him his moment. So it, we are now in a space and we're lucky enough that, that we play with close friends and, and we've been doing this for so long that we have that comfort with each other and we know that we can support each other. So we know that we can just be quiet and, and enjoy everyone else's moment and that when it's time for us to have our moment, when it's time for Scott to have that, that interaction uh, with Michael and uh, you know playing the FBI agent and the cop, that we are going to enjoy that moment and let Scott shine then. He doesn't have to do something kitschy to get the spotlight back on him. Uh, so I, I think that the takeaway from that is that take the time as a table to talk about your needs, talk about what's important to you. Um, make each other feel safe, make each other feel comfortable. When someone's having a moment, give them that moment and support them. And when it's your turn, have that moment and know that your your table is going to support you the way you supported them. So you came around to partially at least answering the question that I was formulating as you as you spoke, because I think this is really important and it's easier for us because we are friends, as you said. Mm -hmm. And um, what would you advise specifically or generally to a group of people that don't have that luxury? I mean, so you said talk about things. So maybe the best path is to start out with a, a document or a discussion, something where you lay out boundaries for the game. And yeah, I don't know what. Do you mind if I jump in? No, please. No, please. Yeah. Or unless Michael, did you have something we've been? No, y'all go right ahead. Okay. So, um, I think part of it is, you know, it, it's having the ability to state what your own needs are and at the same time having others at the table that can do the same and then listening to them empathetically. And so, you know, it's, it's, I've seen, and I've actually been at tables before where it's like everyone is just trying to do their thing and do their thing. And they're not sort of saying what they need and then listening to what other people need and, and sort of balancing those two things or what everyone needs. And it's hard in like a new table or just people that you're sort of doing a one-off, like the cons or whatever, that kind of stuff. Those are things that I sort of would avoid like the plague, as you guys know, because mm -hmm. I would never feel comfortable. Like I, I just, it would take, it takes a long time for me to feel comfortable with people. So in being in a situation where I'm with a whole bunch of people and then someone starts doing a thing and I would just be like, no, I have no, no time or patience for this. So 
you know, it, 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 with a group of people where they're just getting to know each other, sort of an understanding that you're all there together, you're sharing the space. So how can you make it the best for everybody, yourself included, right? So it's not like doing for everyone else and never yourself. And it's not doing just for yourself and no one else. It's finding that right balance. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Because I, as you were saying that I just remembered as particular circumstance where I was playing a game and it was with people I knew, but it wasn't with an ongoing group where the actions of the other characters became too much for me. I didn't know what to do. And I literally just walked my character out mm-hmm. and that's not the best solution. And hopefully, hopefully, you know, this episode or having thoughts and conversations like these will speak to individual people who can come into a group together with more awareness. Yeah. And I think that's it. It's, it's have the conversation would be my advice. Uh, you yeah. know, have a session zero, uh, it, you know, meet before you play. Every table is going to be different. Every group of people is going to be different. So what one table values and is important is going to be very different from another table and what they value and what's important to them. So, uh, you know, make sure that everyone at the table is heard, um, make sure that everyone at the table is, is understood and supported and that, that everyone is going in the same direction. You don't all have to do the same thing. Everyone doesn't have to value the same thing. Uh, you know, if I'm looking for one thing and Michael's looking for something else and we both understand that, okay, I'm going to support Michael in the thing that he's looking for and he's going to support me in the thing that I'm looking for. That's great. It doesn't have to be the same thing, but they can't be so polar opposite that, that, that they're working against each other. And we should just say for full disclosure that unless my memory is wrong, we didn't as a group really have a session zero. Nope. And I think probably it's just because we all knew each other and so we thought it wasn't necessary, but... but to, to be fair, since then... Well, that was what I was going to say. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'll finish my thought and then go to you. I'm sorry. Um, sorry. So we didn't have a session zero, but as we've played, we have run into things that have been issues that have been problematic for some of the characters and sat down and had focused group discussions about them. Mm -hmm. So we've been very um, aware of issues and aware of making sure that everybody can go forward feeling comfortable, but I don't know if we would have run into those same issues if we had started out at the beginning, just laying everything out. Mm-hmm. And now, Michael, please. Well, no, I, you said it perfectly. And I, I would the only thing I'd follow up on that is I, I would think no group is too advanced to have a session zero. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something that's really important is that uh, no matter how far along we are kind of in this journey of storytelling, that taking that time to understand where everybody's coming from and what mm-hmm. their value is is in this process and what they want to, as you said, art, what they want to take away from it. Those are, those are huge. And we can't assume those things because right. It might be uh, for instance, in season two, it was something very different for Scott than it was in season three. And in terms of what he was looking for to get out of that process. And I think the challenge really quickly, Michael, just to say like the challenge with me over just thinking about a session zero was there were things I didn't realize were going to be an issue until we'd had the experience of it. And so it would be hard for me to pre-articulate things that I've not had experience with. But once I did, I was like, oh, my goodness, like this is new and this is something I think I'd like to process. And so with that, right, it's you're never too advanced to have the session zero and you're never too advanced to go back to having a mid whatever session zero, a check in. Hey, how's everybody doing? How's this feeling? 
which I think we do a lot in the background. Um, and um, it doesn't mean everything's always kind of like groovy, but it does mean that we're able to kind of like work through that process and figure out what the better route is for us. To me, it's one of the fundamental differences between board gaming and RPGing, which is in an RPG, like as we do it, it's co-creation. So there's an element of ego. I'm creating a character and I'm authoring that character and I'm building it. And so when there's responses and there's stuff that people, you know, just when there's all the stuff that we've had challenges with and we've seen, it's there's an element of ego involved for me because it's happening to a character that I'm creating. Whereas like with a, a a role-playing, I mean, with a board game, like I just sort of show up and it, there's no real identity or ego. It's just you play and you, you walk away when you're done. So I just, I, I hadn't thought of that before, but maybe that's part of why I'm not a huge board game fan because there is no chance to really overly invest myself. Whereas with RPGs, I'm really enjoying them. Yeah, that's interesting. I think we've gone to some really interesting places in this episode. We started out talking about sort of silly, uh, surprising twists of the plot. And then we ended up talking about how important a safe space is to being able to play in a freely creative and comfortable way. And so we'll just leave it there for today which will put us at the end of this week's session of Up Your RPG. Thank you for joining us. You can always find more information at upyourrpg.com. Hopefully we've contributed to your game. Now go find a table. <laughs>